Because this was planned in advance. This wasn't something that was happenstance. It was planned in advance. And so, verse 2, back in our chapter here. And the soldiers, notice, they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they even put on him a purple robe. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Everything about this was intended to humiliate Jesus. The Jewish rulers had already mocked Jesus as the Messiah. Now the Roman powers mocked him as king. Kings wear crowns, but not crowns of torture. This was a crown that cut, pierced, and bloodied the head of the king who wore it. Kings and rulers often wore purple because the dyes to make fabrics that color were expensive. The purple robe was intended as cruel irony. Remember, as Pastor Rob goes through Jesus' suffering, Jesus did this for us all. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Religious trials that Jesus had, and then also his civil trials, and we're looking at that very last one now before Pilate. And if you could, let's go back to verse 39 of chapter 18, and we're going to pick up there because that this is really uh, during that time when Jesus is before Pilate. And I want to bring up this idea of Barabbas. Because it just shows the insanity of the mob. They would rather have a convicted felon, they would rather have a robber, a murderer, an insurrectionist delivered to them and exonerated rather than giving Jesus back to them or letting him go free. So verse 39 of chapter 18, notice what it says. Pilate speaking to the the mob, he says, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Other gospel accounts tell us that he was also a murderer and certainly an insurrectionist. So they chose, and again, it makes no sense, does it? There were no charges formally brought up to Jesus, but this guy who really was caught and certainly was a murderer, certainly was a robber, him they let go. This insanity that you see here in this gospel account is no different than the insanity that we're seeing in our country today. Solomon said it right. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And these men were dominated by the flesh. They were dominated by the flesh. Let's look at uh, verse 1 now. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, I want to give a warning for young eyes and for tender consciences. 
for the next few slides because I'm going to be showing you a few diagrams, uh, which may not be shocking to you, but I just want to be sensitive to those, if there's anybody with family with kids, because I'm going to show you a few things about this scourging that Jesus went through, and I'm going to read to you a handful of, or a few excerpts that may alarm you. So let's look at this. So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and this picture that you see on the screen is basically a picture of a man who is standing uh, at a pole, and they, they've got him tied with his arms around the pole. And um, this actually came from a journal of the American Medical Association back in 1986, an article called On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ by William Edwards. It's a really fantastic article. In fact, all the graphics that I'm going to show you are from that article, which I do have if you ever want it. But it's really fantastic to get a medical understanding of what happened to Jesus. But we're talking about him being scourged at this time. And this word scourge is uh, the Greek word mastigou, which literally means to flog. And they used a flagellum or a cat of nine tails. And you'll see that on the left side of the screen. Basically, uh, a, leather, a leather handle, and then there were strips of leather that had different pieces of small bone, pieces of leather, uh, uh, pieces of, of uh, metal pieces. And these things were all with the intention of not only bruising the body, but also opening the body up as they would use this flagellum on the body. And Jesus was be- beaten by either one or even two lictors. Lictors are the people who are the ones doing the lashings. And they would lash in a certain direction, right down the side. And, and a lot of this stuff would, um, many times people wouldn't even survive the scourging. Depending on the Roman soldiers and the executioners, they would do this often to get a confession. And if you didn't confess to your crime, because after being beat like that, anybody who's really guilty is going to say, you know what, I did do it. And maybe your penalty would be less. I don't know. But they would do that to get the truth. And all the time that that's happening to Jesus, he is silent. He was silent. Kenneth Wiest, who is a a Greek scholar, he did a word study on this uh, verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. And here's the verse. He says, speaking of Jesus, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. And this gentleman, Kenneth Wiest, believes, and, and I believe this too, that Jesus didn't go through just the normal flogging. They really hated him because he claimed to be the king of the Jews, the, the actual Messiah. And these hardened criminal, or these hardened uh, soldiers, excuse me, were Romans. They were diehard Romans, and they were going to let him have it. And Jesus wasn't this puny man. He was a man's man. He was a carpenter. So he, had, he was in shape. He wasn't, you know, um, you know emasculated or anything like that. He, he, was a, he was a man's man, a very strong man. And so Jesus took this. He took this. In fact, Mr. Weiss had this to say concerning uh, this lashing, that Christian martyrs in Smyrna... 
about A.D. 155, were so torn by the scourges that their veins were laid bare and the inner muscles and sinews and even the bowels were exposed. That's how bad these things could be. And they would use this uh, before they would lead them to the cross. In this Journal of American Medical Association, it said this, Flogging was illegal, preliminary to every Roman execution, and only women and Roman senators or soldiers, except in cases of uh, desertion, were exempt. The usual instrument was a short whip, a flagellum, with several single or braided leather thongs of variable lengths in which small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheet bone were tied at intervals. Occasionally, stabs were also used. And for the scourging, the man was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post. The back and the buttocks and the legs were flogged either by two soldiers or by one who alternated positions. And the severity of the scourging depended on the disposition of the lictors and was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. And after the scourging, the soldiers often taunted their victim. And it goes on and it says, As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions, and the leather thongs and the sheep bones would cut into the skin and subcutaneous tissues. And then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. And pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. And the extent of blood loss may well have determined how long the victim would survive on the cross. The severe scourging with its intense pain and appreciable blood loss most probably left Jesus in a pre-shock state. Moreover, hematidrosis had rendered his skin particularly tender. And the physical, the mental abuse meted out by the Jews and the Romans, as well as the lack of food, water, and sleep also contributed to his generally weakened state. Therefore, even before the actual crucifixion, Jesus' physical condition was at least serious and possibly critical. Amazing to consider what he went through on the cross. This would certainly explain why Simon, a Cyrenian, as we'll read later, he was from the coastal city in North Africa. He carried the cross of Jesus. There came a point, and we'll see this later, that Jesus was so weakened by this this uh, this flagellum and this scourging and, and everything that he went through, the punches and the, the crown of thorns and the reed hitting him on the head where the crown of thorns is and just the torture and, and mental and physical anguish that Jesus went through that when he was supposed to carry that patibulum, that beam that goes across, he was supposed to carry that from that place for about a mile to get to Golgotha. But he had become so weakened because of what he had endured, they grabbed a man named Simon, a Cyrenian, and he had to continue at some point along the, along the route, he had to continue carrying it for Jesus because he was so weakened to do it. And this patibulum, this, this beam that he would carry, would be anywhere between 75 to 125 pounds. And even though Simon carried the cross for Jesus, let me suggest to you that the cross that Jesus bore was something that was not physical. 
Yes, the cross that Jesus bore. And I don't want to minimize the, the physical beatings and the suffering that he went through. I don't want to minimize that because that was horrible. But we know that that stripe that God had placed upon his son was the thing that earned or the, the thing that bought our uh, appeased God and brought salvation to us by putting our faith in him. That one single blow, that word stripes in 1 Peter chapter 2.24, that word stripes is a singular noun. It's a singular noun, even though it looks like it's plural. In the original, it's singular. Well, well, well Jesus endured many stripes, but what was the one stripe? that really paid the price of our salvation. It was when God the Father looked down upon his son and he put the sin of the world on him. The thing that nobody could see, the thing that all they could see was this bloody broken figure on the cross, but it was what they couldn't see that was the thing that did it. Because Jesus bore the penalty and God put the sin of all of us of all of mankind, forevermore, on Jesus. And once and for all, he judged it in his son. That's why Jesus would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd never known that. Ever. God, the Father, forsook his son on the cross. When he had never experienced that before. Think about that. Never in his existence had Jesus ever experienced a separation of fellowship with the Son or with the Father. He never experienced it. It was totally foreign to him. And yet now, as he bore the punishment for us, God the Father looked away because God cannot look upon sin. And he placed all of the sin of all of mankind in one fell swoop on his son, and it was coming out like a lightning bolt that nobody could see. That, I believe, is the blow. That, I believe, is the stripe. When Isaiah even said, and by his stripes we are healed, again, the word in the Hebrew is singular. By his blow, we were healed. We were healed and we were set free to receive Salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was that one blow from the Father, not the multiple blows from the lictors as they, as they just went to town on Jesus. No, I mean, not to minimize it again. I mean, it was horrible. Many people have been crucified in history. Thousands of people have been crucified in history. But there's one single blow that one man received on Mount Moriah, and that was Jesus Christ receiving the blow from his Father. Yes, premeditated murder by the Father. Because this was planned in advance. This wasn't something that was happenstance. It was planned in advance. And so, verse 2, back in our chapter here. And the soldiers, notice, they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they even put on him a purple robe. Now, this crown of thorns could also be symbolic of the curse. We know that in Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of man, that to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, notice, cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So as they put that crown of thorns on Jesus, basically it was representative of the fall of man, of, the, of, the, of the, 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 the corruption of man, of fallen man. 
the curse of man. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says this, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Jesus was accursed of God for a time. He bore the punishment. And when you and I think of a tree, we often think of a, of a literal tree, but uh, a wood beam, and, and, and they call that thing the stipes. It's basically a pole that is sent down into the ground, into a hole, and that is called the stipes. And then they would take that, uh, um, that uh, polybium, uh, polybium, I forget, <laughs> I can't remember what it was. They, they took the, that, that piece that was on him, and they would place that on the stipes, and he would hang there, and they would put a, a little holder for where he could rest his feet at times. If they were nice to you, they would put that there. It would just prolong your death, actually, by putting it there. So the soldiers twisted, and they put a crown of thorns. They put a purple robe on him. And in their continual mocking jest, they put a robe of purple. And purple, as you know, uh, as a symbol of royalty, it was a precious commodity in those days, which only those who were kings or magistrates or those of great importance would have uh, their clothes dyed this purple. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. In Mark's gospel of the same account, it says that they not only struck him on the head uh, with with their hands, but they also struck him on the head with a reed, which is basically a a wooden stick. And he had the crown of thorns on his head. Think of that. The crown of thorns are already digging into his scalp, and then they take a reed, and then they're whacking him over the head with it. Think of what that's doing. It's driving those spikes even further in. Now, my intention this morning is not to gross anybody out. But these details of what Jesus went through are, at some point, we should understand what he went through. Because it was torture. And notice, they spit on him and they mocked him. They bowed the knee before him and they worshipped him. And Pilate, verse 4, went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I, have, I find no fault in him. Are you kidding me? The truth of the matter is, if, if he found no fault in Jesus, then legally he should have let him go, but he didn't. And as we looked at last week, there were many Ill, Ill, illegalities in the apprehension and the trial of Jesus. But notice at this time, Jesus had already been scourged with the flagellum. He'd already been punched. He'd already had the crown of thorns beat into his head with a reed. And Pilate brings him out now, a bloody mess, an uncondemned man whom they flog mercilessly and has the gall to say, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Really? Is that what you do in Rome? Even the Romans had laws, and they were breaking all kinds of laws here. Even the Jews had laws. Even when they did exact capital punishment, they had laws about what to do. Then Jesus came out, verse 5, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. You know, and after all they did to Jesus, he was still standing and silent before his accusers, not confessing any guilt because he was guiltless. He was guiltless. 
And what does it tell us in Isaiah 53, uh, verses 4 through 7 and 10 through 12? It says, surely he, and, and, and Isaiah writing this 700 years before Christ would even be born in the flesh. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Who is this man that Isaiah is referring to? It's none other than Jesus Christ. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, that's singular, by the way, and by his stripes, we have been healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Yet uh, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. It pleased God the Father to crush him, not because he was some sadistic father, but it it satisfied him. That's what it means. He wasn't pleased to do it. He didn't want to do it. It broke his heart to do it, but he knew that it was the only way to redeem people to himself because God's justice says the man who sins shall surely die. And every one of us, the Bible says, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there is only one person, unless we all of humanity goes to hell in a handbasket, there's only one who can save us from that. And Jesus is the only one who is sinless, the only one who could take that punishment for us. And he did it willingly. He did it knowingly. What He, he knew what he was up for. He knew what was going to happen. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And now he is seated at the right hand of God forevermore. Hallelujah! <laughs> right? Hallelujah! But notice what Isaiah goes on to say. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise them. He has put into grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, Jesus had two malefactors on the on either side of him, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Verse 6, back in our text, Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Crucifixion wasn't even invented by the Romans. We believe it was invented by the Persians. But yet the Romans perfected it, and the Jews had no authority to exact capital punishment, but the Romans did, because the Romans took that right away from the Jews. Verse 7, it says, the Jews answered, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Again, another untruth. They didn't want to believe it, yet the scriptures had foretold that the Messiah would come, and behold, he does come, and they don't believe in him. 
And he fit all of the descriptors all throughout the Old, the Old Testament prophecies. If they were just to stop for a minute and go through the prophecies and find out where he was born, where all, if they looked at all these different details that we know. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.